Welcome to the Rest Talk channel, a scientific podcast around type 2 inflammation and respiratory diseases. This podcast is supported by the medical department of Sanofigenzyme. In today's episode, we will discuss the management of severe asthma, type 2 inflammation, the use of biomarkers, the concept of treatable threats and clinical remission. For that, it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Bronstal from the Netherlands. Dr. Bronstal, welcome to this podcast. Thank you very much. Before starting the discussion, may I ask you to introduce yourself to the audience, please? Yes, my name is Gertjan Braunstal. I'm a pulmonologist working in a tertiary severe asthma care center in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. I'm doing patient care, but also uh, research and uh, development. Thank you uh, very much. So in order to be aligned along the discussion, could you start by defining severe asthma, please? Severe asthma is a very rare condition in a way that 5% of all asthma patients have severe asthma. And we talk about uh, severe asthma when patients have a high dose of uh, ICS and uh, LABA, and despite that still have symptoms and uh, exacerbations or have the need for oral corticosteroids. And in addition to that, we need to have optimized all treatable traits in these uh, patients. So for example, improved adherence, uh, improved inhalation technique, and also um, uh, avoid all kinds of triggers that may provoke the disease. Okay, thank you. And there have been new treatments in uh, recent years in severe asthma, but how have the phenotypes evolved and uh, what do we know today about phenotyping in severe asthma? Well, the phenotypes have evolved over time, actually. If you look at 50 years ago, uh, there was a, a focus on extrinsic and intrinsic asthma. Later, it was called allergic and non-allergic asthma. And then from the 19th of the last century, you see an increased interest in the role of the eosinophil. And so we started to diverse asthma in terms of eosinophilic and non-eosinophilic asthma. Later on, the additional value of other immune cells were recognized, such as the Th2 cell, and 10 years ago, also the innate lymphocyte type 2 cell. And from that time off, it was called type 2 asthma, when these cells were involved and also the cytokine pattern, compared to non-type 2 asthma or type 2 low asthma. Thanks. And could you explain a bit more type 2 inflammation specifically in severe asthma, please? Type 2 inflammation is present in around 70% of the patients with uh, asthma and also severe asthma. It's actually defined by the release of, of increased concentrations of cytokines, such as IL-4, IL-5, and IL-13. And these uh, cytokines are released by the Th2 cells I mentioned earlier, and also the ILC2 uh, cells. And these cytokines actually start a whole cascade of inflammatory processes, which involves also effector cells like eosinophils, mast cells, epithelial uh, activation, uh, and so on. So that's the role of type 2 inflammation in asthma. 
And this inflammation actually drives the disease, causes the symptoms and exacerbations that go along with it. Thank you. And uh, in uh, type 2 inflammation, I guess there are specific biomarkers. They are defined by uh, GINA guidelines. Could you explain yeah. a bit more about that? Yeah, ideally, uh, you would be able to identify the cytokines, but that's not feasible in uh, clinical practice. So we have to look for other biomarkers that are more or less related with this uh, T2 inflammation. And then you look at the effector cells like blood eosinophils that can be measured, for example, in sputum or in blood. Actually, in clinical practice, measuring in, in blood is actually more easy than in uh, sputum. And the other biomarker that's very easy to access is uh, pheno, which is in the exhaled breath of patients. And this is actually uh, a biomarker that is related to epithelial activation, which is an IL-13 directed uh, process in type 2 inflammation. Okay, so pheno and AOS will be the, the key uh, biomarkers in, uh, in type 2 inflammation, if I follow you correctly. That's right. We speak more and more about treatable threats. Could you explain a bit more this concept and how it helps to optimize severe asthma treatment? Well, in, um, in asthma, we have a population of around 20% of patients that need high-dose ICS and LABA to control their disease, but still are not controlled. And this could be due to severe asthma, but uh, more likely it's due to uh, treatable traits that are not optimized. And these uh, treatable traits could be, for example, uh, comorbidities like upper airway disease, Triggers that are around patients, such as allergens or air pollution. It could be uh, due to wrong inhaler technique or non-adherence to uh, medication, for example. Or also psychological conditions can, could be involved that also influence the course of the disease. Thank you. And what about the comorbidities? Do you have a specific uh, way to proceed when the patient has comorbidities? Do you have... a multidisciplinary approach in your hospital and could you uh, share a bit regarding that with us? Yeah, that's a good uh, point. Yeah, I think it's very important as a pulmonologist to also look a little bit outside the borders of your uh, profession. This includes, for example, upper airway involvement, which is very often present in patients with asthma. Around 80% of the patients with asthma have some kind of upper airway involvement, which could either be allergic rhinitis, nasal polyposis, chronic rhinosinusitis. So we should be very focused on that also in our history taking and also our additional tests that we perform. So it's important to start also treating this upper airway disease in these patients. And if that is not working well enough and it's still not controlled, then you should refer the patients to your ENT surgeon. And ideally, and that's actually the case in our center, we have a sort of multidisciplinary council where the ENT surgeon is also part of. And uh, another important comorbidity, for example, is gastroesophageal reflux, which is also part in 20 to 30% of the patients with severe asthma. And this should also be addressed and additional treatment should be started. And if that doesn't work enough, you should contact your gastroenterologist. The same also accounts for psychological consultancy 
and every other specialist that is involved in treating comorbidities is severe asthma. Yeah, I can imagine that uh, a good collaboration is key for the care of the patient as these comorbidities will increase the burden of the, of the disease. Yeah, that's right. And I was wondering, what do biologics add to the standard of care, or should I say to you standard of care? Well, as I told earlier, first we should increase the normal asthma medications such as ICS and LABA and perhaps LAMA. But if that does not work enough or work well enough, then we should think of adding biologicals if patients have the right profile for that. So it means that treatable traits are optimized and that they have type 2 inflammation. All biologicals that are currently available, at least in the Netherlands, aim at type 2 inflammation. So that should be assessed first. Well, if a patient fulfills the criteria for a biologicals, then you could add that. And most biologicals that we work with have a response rate of around 70 to 80 percent which means that the patient improve at least that one of the parameters, such as reduction in exacerbation, improved quality of life, better asthma control, being able to reduce load of oral corticosteroids, and so on. So these are important things that improve during treatment with biologicals. And I think one of the additional benefits of biological is that it does not only work on T2 inflammation in the lung. But as I told earlier, there's a large number of patients with severe asthma who have also upper airway involvement in terms of chronic rhinosinusitis and nasal polyps, or perhaps have topic dermatitis, which is also another T2 inflammatory condition. And these biologicals actually also are able to control these conditions as well. Okay, thanks. And when you start biological treatment, what are the key goals for your patients? Well, of course, you have to discuss this with the patient first. Huh? What are the main goals for the patient to reach? And for some patients, it could be improvement of exercise tolerance. For another patient, it could be reduction of exacerbations. So you have to choose your goals. And based on these goals and based on the profile and the comorbidity, you make a decision to choose a certain biological. And most of the times we take four to six months to evaluate the response of the biological. And so at least the patient should respond on one of the earlier mentioned outcomes yeah, in order to continue the treatment. Okay, thank you. You mentioned different objectives. I was wondering, what about lung function? Lung function is certainly one of the outcomes, but as far as I'm concerned, it's not the most important outcomes. I think more important outcomes are, for example, exacerbation reduction, tapering of oral corticosteroids, improved quality of life, and improved asthma control. Okay, clear. Thank you. And could we aim for remission in severe asthma? And uh, how would you define clinical remission? I think clinical remission is a very hot topic at the moment, and there's quite a focus on it. And in the past, we were very happy if patients reached one or two of the early mentioned clinical outcomes. But nowadays, we notice that with the availability of biologicals with a broader action, that it's possible to achieve clinical remission in a certain percentage of patients. And yeah, clinical remission is defined as a sort of composite 
outcome score on several outcomes. And it means that there are no asthma exacerbations uh, anymore. Uh, there is no use of maintenance oral corticosteroids or no extra corticosteroid bursts. There is control of asthma in terms of um, juiced score of the ACQ or an increased score of the ACT as you, as you wish. And ideally also a lung function that is restored to normal values of more than 80% of predicted. And that's more or less the picture. And of course you can broaden that picture also with a pheno that is below uh, 25 ppb or eosinophils that are reduced in the blood. But I think that's less important than the clinical outcomes. Thanks. And in your practice, do you have a lot of patients who achieve remission? Well, that's uh, interesting that you mentioned that because we recently uh, did a real-world study in patients with anti-IL-4 receptor antagonists. And in those patients, we were able to reach a percentage of 40% of full responders uh, that were defined by no exacerbations, no use of oral corticosteroids, and an ACQ below 1.5. And that's quite a high number. And if if you look at other studies done in anti-IL-5 or anti-IL-5 receptor, and then you see percentages that are a little bit lower, around 20% or 25%. So ideally, I think with using the right biological for the right patient, we should be able to have a sort of clinical remission percentage of around 35 to 40%. And according to, to you, is it still... a uh unmet medical need in severe asthma at the moment? Well, I think it's, if you see how patients suffered 10 years ago from severe asthma and how quite a few of them, after starting with biologicals, yeah, gained their normal life, I think it's such an, an incredible milestone and achievement that we have these biologicals now available for them so people are able to yeah, regain their normal life and, and start working and have a better quality of life in general so that's something we should achieve and should aim for and in the netherlands for example is it still a lot of patient under ocs to control the severe asthma yeah unfortunately there is and recently a study was done based on pharmaceutical data released by pharmacists and around between 2.5 and 5% of the asthma patients are on a maintenance dose of oral corticosteroids, which is actually much higher than I expected. And unfortunately, also half of these patients are in primary care. And so they're not within our reach as pulmonologists. So we should really look for a better registry in pharmacies to detect these patients and to identify them and to make GPs refer these patients to uh, secondary care. Okay, thank you. To conclude the discussion, I would like to ask you what your key messages are regarding the management of severe asthma. Well, I think, first of all, it's important to really identify the patients with uh, severe asthma and to make sure that you first control the treatable traits as good as possible, yeah, to have attention for psychological needs of patients, but also physical needs of patients. So also offer them pulmonary rehabilitation, for example. 
And if this does not work well enough, then we should phenotype uh, the patients, use a multidisciplinary council uh, with several specialists involved to make a right decision for a biological. And then, of course, we should follow up this patient and use biomarkers and also clinical outcomes to evaluate the response of these uh, patients. And if this patient is not responding well, then we have to reassess all over again. So that's actually um, what I would give the listeners as a take-home message. Great. Thank you for the very good discussion. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this uh, Restalk podcast.